1: the only daily premier league podcast this is football social daily
2: Hello and welcome along to Friday's edition of the Football Social Daily. The end of the week is here and the start of the 2022-23 Premier League season is now just three weeks away. Yes, just three weeks left to wait. However, before the actual business of football, ball in net action starts, we do have pre-season and plenty of transfers to keep us nice and busy here on the Football Social Daily. Today's show takes a look at the big news from midweek a power play from Chelsea. Raheem Sterling is back in London after joining on a £50 million deal from Manchester City. Have City made the right call to let Sterling go? And can his arrival at Stamford Bridge bring the Blues, the Not Sky Blues, the other Blues, back? into the Premier League title race. In part two, we'll take a look at another England star aiming to get himself a decisive campaign. Marcus Rashford has not enjoyed the best of times, but a first full pre-season since 2019. Can he reignite himself in the Eric Ten Hag revolution at Manchester United. And then to wrap it up, some of the sides still waiting to make their moves. Leicester are the only Premier League club not to sign anyone so far this summer. Brendan Rodgers cannot afford to start the season without reinforcements. But, as it stands, no new faces at the King Power. So, plenty to get through on a busy, busy Friday. My name's Fergal Brennan, and joining me to spread the Friday cheer, we've got Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, guys. How are we doing? Morning, mate. How are you? Very good. Very good indeed. Joel, how's things?
0: Morning, I'm good. But you guys are holding me hostage here. I'm now feeling the effects of when Australian fans and American fans and Indian fans don't get to watch United games in the normal time. They're actually kicking off right now, so um, I'm literally just one eye on the one eye on the screen, one eye on the mic you uh you beggars can't be choosers when you're the
2: Bangkok Century Cup winners you know that's what happens you know like so you win the Champions but... League and you got three games a week you just have to roll with the roll with the punches uh Joel when uh, United are been so successful now, uh, now gonna... all of a
0: sudden I command the Audi Cup I mean I respect <laughs> the Audi cup a little bit more now so
2: <laughs> yeah put put some respect on the names of these random trophies that United are winning right we are going to talk about United a little bit later on uh, on Marcus rashford but um, Mali, Raheem Sterling joining Chelsea. Now, this broke just after we recorded Wednesday's podcast, so we, we haven't really had a chance to get stuck into it. A £50 million move on a five-year contract for Sterling at Chelsea. He's the first signing of the Todd Bowley era at Stamford Bridge. They are expected to bring in a few more names. Khalidou Koulibaly is almost done. Nathan Aki is off. Cristiano Ronaldo is off. But there will be a few more players coming in. This is a big deal to get Raheem Sterling in. He's an England international, he's an experienced Premier League operator, multiple Premier League title winner with Manchester City. This is a big statement on and off the pitch for Chelsea. They're able to say to Manchester City, who are financial powerhouse in European football, we can take a really important player and convince him to come to us. And they've got themselves someone that scores goals and makes a big, big impact in the Premier League.
1: Okay. um I you know I've, I've said in the podcast before I think this is a, a good deal but I was thinking you know for the for the bowling era to start I think it's important that it starts the first signing of that era is is a big one um, and you'd and it, it sort of catches the eye and, and sets out a statement um, and I think this does I, I think this is um, this is the perfect signing almost because you've got a player who's who <laughs> Like he he sort of can't really flop because there's 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 almost guarantees um, around what he brings to to a, a club when he goes to play for them you know um, Sterling's been around for it seems like forever I mean he's had seven years at Man City a couple of years at, at uh, Liverpool before that so you're talking near on ten years he's been around scoring goals and 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 doing his business in the Premier League he's over a hundred Premier League goals. Um, and all for fifty million quid, so I think this is, this is good business, and it gets to Chelsea's new era off to a, a sort of promising start because Chelsea are, are absolute masters of of spending big money on on players that haven't played in the Premier League before, and then sort of hamstringing themselves in in the next few years because they're stuck with them. Um, you think of like Maratta and Falcao, and you know all the all the flop attackers they've had over the over the years. There's an endless Line of them, but I'd probably say this is this is the one time where they've they've signed someone who has Premier League experience and at the very very top level. Like uh, maybe Lukaku, you could probably say last year to be fair, but you know that's that's worked uh, worked out terribly and he's sulked uh, off back to Milan within twelve months. So it's um it's it's slightly different, I think, with with this one with Sterling and uh, it. For me, it makes sense for everyone because he wasn't playing as much as he wanted to at City. He wanted to be a main part of of something uh, and Chelsea are going to offer him that.
2: Looking at his record, uh, Joel, in terms of what he's done at Manchester City over the last few seasons, and we're kind of building this post-Mo Salah measurement. So since Mo Salah's come back to the Premier League and signed for Liverpool, so at the start of the 2017-18 campaign, only Salah and Harry Kane have got a higher goal and assist record in the Premier League than Raheem Sterling he's been a, he's been a machine for City 122 combined goals and assists 78 goals and uh, sorry 78 goals and 44 assists that's a really impressive haul and it is very very difficult to get yourself someone that I, you no one likes to say guaranteed 20 goals or guaranteed 25 goals that's that's something that's maybe going to be a bit of a hindrance for Erling Haaland this season but Sterling is as close to a a bit of a guarantee as you can get Is this a mistake by Manchester City? They've obviously brought in Erling Haaland. Julian Alvarez has come in and looks really, really exciting. They spent £100 on Jack Grealis last summer. But Raheem Sterling is still massively important. You can't underrate an ability to just consistently hit double figures in the Premier League. And they've now lost that, and that's Chelsea's game.
0: I think he's been massively underrated at City just because of how many superstars are around him who also get pretty similar statistics. You know, when you look at like Aguero when he was fully firing there, um, De Bruyne, similar. Then got Riyad Mahrez, Bernardo Silva. He's just another cog of. A machine that runs very, very well. Um, I don't know if it's such a guarantee that everyone thinks. Just because, obviously, I I do think he will do really well at Chelsea, but I don't know if he'll get the similar numbers he's done at City. I mean, he's averaged at about fifteen goals a season in the Premier League, which is ridiculous for a player in his in his position. Uh, But Guardiola's teams create an absolutely ridiculous amount of chances for everyone in their side. Whereas I'm still questioning with Chelsea now because they're basically going to be in totally new look side next season where they're going to have a totally new defense who will build out from the back. Uh the midfield is aging quite a bit with Jorginho and and Kanté. Um and obviously the for, the excuse me, Bidel, uh, the forward line is completely changed as well where obviously Lukaku's gone. Um Werner and Ziyech. Ziyech looks like he might be on the move. So it's going to be a totally different kind of setup whether that's going to hinder Sterling or whether he's going to rise to it because he's now going to be the main guy in the side rather than just another player who adds to a ridiculous tally of goals um, I think he will do well I think it just it, I think it suits him so well just being able to be the figure point now of a, of a team um but it's just the fact that I think when you watch Raheem Sterling play because he's not massively clinical and we've always mentioned this on the podcast how I remember that Leon game so vividly, the Champions League, where he needed to score it to go through and he completely missed a, a chance right on the goal line. And it kind of summed up how people perceive him because his statistics are unreal. And if you recall some of those goals, they were vital goals to get Man City, uh, basically a couple of their Premier Leagues, especially with Liverpool being only one point and level on points uh, a couple of times. He's been pivotal for them, but sometimes his clinicalness has really gone amiss in the big moments so maybe you know this could be a chance for him to kind of up his game even more than he has at City and be the figurehead but I think it's such a good deal for Chelsea I think it's a bargain considering these numbers like you mentioned
2: Marley when you look at numbers his goals and his assists are positive but you mentioned before this idea of not playing as much as it seems and when you kind of dig a little bit below the surface he has been on the slide in terms of how much Pep Guardiola has used him 30 Premier League appearances last season but he only completed 90 minutes 23 times across a 38 game season that's a pretty low average and it's been dropping since 2018 30 29 28 and then 23 last season is this the motivation behind the move? That he knows if he stayed at City, he'd still be in part of the squad. City are more than likely going to win at least one major trophy next season, but he wants to play. He wants to be the main man, and that's what Chelsea potentially offer him the chance to do.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think um, I'm thinking of this in in terms of relation to uh, to Harry Kane at Spurs and Sterling is at Man City winning trophies but not feeling like the main man and he wants to be the main man. And you look at someone like Harry Kane last summer and he's he's not winning trophies at Spurs but he wants to be the main man. And it's like the mentality of of having... of being one or the other. Like Sterling, as you say, Sterling's definitely going to win trophies in the next year, two years, three years, whatever. He might even win the Champions League next season if he stayed at Man City. But he wants that love and he wants that, that status as... I'm number one like, I'm I'm your winger I'm the best I'm, I pick myself I'm in your team every week build it around me um, and then you compare that to like other players who, who don't win trophies but are the main man at the club there's plenty of them around um, around the Premier League it was Calvin Phillips um, this summer until he went to Man City it was Jack Grealish last summer it was Harry Kane last summer there's been plenty of sort of uh, examples of that over the uh, over the past few years. But that's how that's how football works. It's hard to have both sides of, of that unless you're an absolute superstar and, and play in the right teams. Um like you know, Messi and Ronaldo and, and whoever. Um, and yeah, I think with with Sterling, his, his mentality is like, I've won trophies now, so there's no pressure on, on me to, to to prove myself in terms of what I've got and what I can show the kids and the grandkids in, in the coming years. It's more a fact of, right, where am I going to be happy? Like, he's a London boy who's never played in London. Like, he's never played Premier League football. He's never played... A, I don't think he's played a um, a senior professional game in London because he came to Liverpool at, like, 16 from, from QPR, I think it was, so... You know, he he probably does want to go home and and be just take a bit more love, um and that's understandable. And if it works for him, then then fair play. But um, because he was slipping down the 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 order at Man City, like you, the stats say, and I think everybody knew that. You know, Mares was first choice on that right wing, um and the emergence of, of Foden into a a wide forward has been superb at Man City. And then obviously signing Grealish as well, and him not having the best of first seasons and, and openly saying that he wanted to play a bit more um is probably something that, that made every made the, the move to Chelsea a little bit um a little bit more straightforward for him.
2: Joel Thomas Tuchel's been careful in his words when he's been asked about this signing and what it means for Chelsea in the Premier League title race and he said Sterling can shape Chelsea next season and in the years to come. The big question now is Man City's loss or potential loss is Chelsea's gain we know that does this change the dimension of the Premier League title race Manchester City Liverpool expected to go toe-to-toe again does this bring Chelsea back in if you imagine Koulibaly is going to be signed in the next couple of days and a few more new faces Chelsea could be the Chelsea that we probably expected last season and really put it up to City and Liverpool
0: No, I still think the gap's too big between Chelsea, City and Liverpool. Um, I think those two are just the front-running horses and they've been basically progressing for the last four years, whereas everyone else has been just cantering behind them a little bit. I think with Chelsea, they've still got a big problem, which is finding a striker who can get those goals. I know Sterling will 100% add to it... um, but the havers i still don't have, I, I still don't have massive belief in him being the guy who can play down the middle and actually get them you he's know not 10 a 15 forward, 20 goals no he's not at all he's, he's and but learning that,
1: this he's is trying to learn
0: it but there's a long th- way to this go this is the issue though at leverkusen that was kind of his position being that center forward just behind yeah, i think he's be, I, I would say he's basically a 10 but he just the, the, a number 10 doesn't fit in ko's system, so he's kind of trying to find a route for him, but there's not really a route there for him to really flourish in that side, which is a bit of an issue um, so I'm interested, I, if I was Chelsea, I would 100% try and give Armando Broja a little bit of a chance but it seems as though West Ham's £30, £30 million little carrot the dangling's going to sway the difference for them, Um but they, they need to, Chelsea need to be careful with letting go these really good youngsters, because a lot of the time, majority of them are flourishing, I mean, look at their defensive of options of uh, Tamori who's amazing in Milan and then Gwehi who at uh, Crystal Palace is doing really well and I think they're just going to let go of another one at, um to, uh, just recently one of the youth players so they have the talent there That their youth systems one of the best youth systems in the country Connor by an
1: Gallagher absolute mile well yeah, Gilmore did alright well he didn't do great in Norwich HDD but um, yeah, there's plenty. There's plenty, like you say. There, I mean Levi Colwill, um, who's no one. No one's ever really heard of. Like he, he smashed it at Huddersfield last season. And if you look at how his sort of career arc is going, it's almost exactly the same as Mark Gahey who they let go because he he came off a really back, uh, back of a really good spell at Swansea. They didn't quite get promoted. He went to Crystal Palace, and he's smashing it. He's in the England side now. So if they, you know, Levi Colwill doesn't get a chance at Chelsea, someone in that lower half of the Premier League, like a a Bournemouth or a a Fulham or one of the promoted sides of Forest, a Southampton, whoever, they might come and say, "Oh, I'll, we'll take him. If you're not going to use him, we'll we'll take a chance on him, and you know, it could be worth forty million
0: in two years' time." you already know that'll happen because just look at Tammy Abraham if they want to get him back they're going to be talking 60, 70, 80 million because that's how much he's worth to Roma and he probably would have solved a big issue in their striker department because I think just before he left he scored a good 19, 20 goals in the Prem so you know Chelsea I think Thomas Tuchel needs to start having a little bit more belief because look at Rhys James he is one of the best right backs in the world Um, they would probably get a ridiculous fee if they sold him. And he's come from the youth system. I think they really need to start tapping into that and giving them chances because they've got some absolute quality coming from that system.
2: Very quickly, before we take a break, we've got a little bit of Friday trivia. So Raheem Sterling is the first player of the Todd Bowley era. We're going to go all the way back to 2003. I'm going to give you a clue. In total, I made over 300 Premier League appearances... I played Premier League football at five different clubs and I have over 50 England caps. Who was the first signing of the Roman Abramovich era? I'll give you one guess each. Go for it. Joe Cole. Joe Cole. Um, And uh, Joel, give us your guess. I was about to call you Joel Cole, sorry. Give us your guess.
0: (laughs) Uh, over 50, England player, yeah.
2: So, yeah, England capped over 50 times for England and played for five, played Premier League football for five different teams and made over 300 Premier League appearances.
0: Yeah, you'd have to say Joe Cole, wouldn't you? I was going to say Ashley Cole, but he only played for two.
2: As I'm feeling generous, oh, as it's guys. a Friday, you're both wrong, by the way. Um, I'll give you another guess. Squam Marley, you can go first again.
1: Is it Scott Parker?
2: Uh, Joel gives your
0: guess. Uh, I'm trying to think of other. All the
2: will be revealed.
0: No, I, I, don't, I can't remember any other English plays he signed. I'm going to stick with my one, even though it's wrong. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> You'd be terrible on a quiz show I'm going to stick with the incorrect answer well, Typical Joel, Man a, United yeah, fan <laughs> Joel, incorrect, uh, uh, amazingly you're wrong Again, I don't know how you've actually managed that Joe Cole and Scott Parker were both signed That summer, but the first Signing of the Roman Abramovich era was Ding 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 Glenn Johnson For £6 oh. million pounds From West Ham He yeah. was the first Signing Such a forgettable of Player isn't he Glenn Johnson, Glenn Johnson. <laughs> of, the, of the Roman Abramovich era Yeah and he's, he's Racked up a lot of Clubs A lot of Premier yeah. League Appearances But yeah Glenn Johnson And Raheem Sterling Absolutely Niall will be
1: buzzing That Glenn Johnson Got a, got a, a, a shout got a out on the, yeah, uh... Shout out
2: for Niall Shout out for Glenn Johnson <laughs> uh, Right we're going to Wrap it up there for, uh, for part one Of the podcast After the break We're not doing Any more trivia Because there are No questions There are only answers Joel when it comes to Manchester United next season. Marcus Rashford is back in business. He's looking good, he's looking sharp, but are we going to see the old Marcus Rashford banging in goals and tearing it up at Old Trafford? We're going to be talking about Marcus and a new man in the door at Old Trafford in just a second.
1: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
2: Welcome back to Friday's edition of the Football Social Daily. Just a quick reminder, during pre-season we are down to 3 podcasts Monday, Wednesday and Friday, but from the kick-off of the 22-23 campaign, we will be back to a daily Premier League show. So, you know what to do. Hit subscribe up the top and you can get access to a brand new show as soon as it is ready. Right, we're switching across to Manchester United. Joel, a cause and a story very, very close to your heart. And that is Marcus Rashford. He's been hammering the gym over the summer. He looks great seeing pictures on Instagram on pictures on Twitter. He looks, he looks like absolutely superhuman shape. And given his injury issues, given the fact that he's been away with England in certain summers... This is the first time he's had a full pre-season to concentrate on getting fit and getting ready for Manchester United in in probably four years. And he needs a big campaign. We talked before the break about Sterling in this post-2017-18 era with Salah, Kane, him, Son, etc. In that era, Rashford has only got 49 Premier League goals in five seasons. Now, there have been injuries and obviously there's been issues at Manchester United. Marcus Rashford needs to ignite and he needs to ignite quickly. Everybody wants to see Marcus Rashford do well. Are you feeling positive?
0: It's it's a, it's a difficult one because, you know, respectfully, regardless of being in the gym, I don't really care, to be honest. I want to see differences on the pitch because that's where he was lacking. He's always been in amazing shape regardless of how good his form's been. But this season is just so pivotal for him. I don't think People can uh, 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 overestimate that as much as you can just because of how bad it was last season. But it was bad for basically the whole club. The whole club was in an absolute wishing well at the bottom. There was no way out. Um, I think even Rashford was just saying in an interview recently that this is his first full pre-season, you know, not being away with England and coming halfway through or being injured or being in a World Cup or a European Championship. So this is the first time he's been able to go away, have a completely full month free in the calendar book and just focus on getting himself mentally and uh, physically ready for the new season but I'm gonna reserve judgement on if I think he's gonna be great or not because he, he, he was horrific last season to an extent where everyone was thinking where's this player gone because it wasn't it was only recently that he got I think what 19-20 goals in the Premier League and he looked an absolute machine when he was playing he was the difference in a lot of games so I I. Truly believe that that talent can't just disappear overnight. I'm not having people saying he's burnt out or he's this or he's that. He's 24 years old, and he wasn't burnt out in the way in which you know Rooney at the start of you know when he was 18, 19, being the main guy in the England setup and playing when he had injuries constantly. Rashford should be fit and fresh and ready to go. He looks like he completely looks after himself. And I do have faith in the fact that now we have a proper coach with a proper system. Even we see, and I don't want to get carried away after that first 4-0 win against Liverpool, um, but the way in which he put, you know, Sancho in his preferred position, which is the right-hand side kind of drilling in and he had, you know, the full-backs a little bit more inverted rather than spreading the pitch. It just showed there's a system in place there. And if he can get the most out of Rashford which I think he can Ten Hag's done it to a million different youngsters at Ajax too many to name where they've all gone on to become great players or they're still developing as we speak I just have faith in him under Ten Hag now Um, but ultimately it's up to him it really is up to him whether he can rediscover that form and that confidence I think confidence was a huge part last year it just felt like he was shot of it completely the body language was off he wasn't getting involved in the pitch his head was always down he just didn't feel like the Rashford that we'd seen in previous seasons so I think now completely fresh slate like he said under a new manager new regime a bit more of positive vibe where the players feel like they know what direction the club's going in now it, it, it can only be good for him but like I say the bottom line is that it's up to him um, and I think he'll know that this season if he performs any kind of way to last season his United career could be in jeopardy I'm afraid but then on the flip side it could also be the making of him again so I'm optimistic but you know this competition for places in that scene
2: You do get the sense, Marley, that it is make or break for Rashford. His contract is up next summer. United do have a clause where they can extend it onto 2024. But everything that Joel has said, I I would agree with. Marcus Rashford, everybody is is rowing in behind him. He had a difficult time last season. He missed about 12, 13 games through injury. He only completed um, 90 minutes in the Premier League 13 times last season, which... Given his profile at Manchester United is is really really poor. You're throwing the injury, you're throwing the confidence issues, and all those other problems that have been floating around. It's now or never. United fans are obviously hoping that it's now, but just because of his profile, his likability, and everything about Marcus Rashford, I think everyone is kind of rowing behind him. But it's a really difficult ask to get back to his kind of 2018 2019 form when it's been such a hard road for him in the last few seasons. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's gonna be a challenge, but you know it's it's one that many players face. You know, nobody nobody always has a nice smooth ride all the way through all the through all the way through the career. You know, it's, especially as you, I always think back to like when Rashford sort of came onto the scene as like a seventeen year old who wasn't even meant to be starting uh, in that game against Midtjylland in the uh, in the I think it was the Europa League. Um, at, uh, at 16, 17, 17 years old I think it was back in 2016 so he sort of he, he got fired out of a cannon in terms of his uh, his career like it started you know he wasn't in the starting blocks for too long he was he was, you know burst straight into the first team scored against Arsenal then scored in the the game against Michelin and he was in the team pretty much ever since that's six years ago like the guy's probably not even caught his breath and it sounds sounds a long time and it, it is it is a long time to be fair but at some point, some it's it's gonna catch up with you, I think, um, and you are gonna have a dip where you just gotta you just gotta reinvent yourself a little bit and and get refocused. And you know the things he's been doing off the pitch have been much much bigger and much more important than football. In 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 all fairness, um, and he's made himself you know uh, more than a footballer in the last few years. So he's um, he's had other things on his plate. That's understandable, but I think it isn't over for him i think the uh, the managerial situation finally sorting itself out or seeming seemingly to be finally sorted out is something that can only benefit him you know joel mentioned there is 10 hags um uh, um record of working with youth players you know we've seen what he's done with with anthony a winger at um uh, to, uh, to Ajax and you know he's, he's made him flourish and put him in his best position and you know Ajax are reaping the rewards of that can he do something similar with Rashford and turn him into either a centre forward or a left winger and get him back to those levels that uh, that he once was hitting because the talent is still there it's just the, the confidence maybe isn't as much um, and I think that comes from from playing for Man United when they're, they're going through such a, a, a poor spell in the last few years you know there aren't many players in the Man United team who have that much confidence right now because the Rangnick experiment was an absolute failure um, the, the latter end of Solskjaer's reign was was poor um, and then before that there was the the, tu- the t- turbulent times of Mourinho um, who basically said this is all rubbish, and you know it's all going to come crashing down. You need to do something, and there was friction there. And I think for you know it's it's kind of obvious to see why there has been a bit of a, a drop off in many Man United players, not just Rashford, but the one the one who's took it a little bit um, more longer is is Rashford.
2: Uh, I just want to ask about another potential new face coming in at Old Trafford before the start of the season. We know that Frankie de Jong, Joel, is is blocked, it's gridlocked, whether he's going to come, whether he's not, he's he's probably going to rumble on for at least another week or so. Something that looks a little bit clearer is Lissandro Martinez coming in from Ajax. The big talk has been that he's a bit of a bulldog, that he's very good progressively. His numbers in the Eredivisie last season are a particularly excellent 93% pass completion rate. That was the highest of any defender in Dutch football last year but the Premier League can be a bit of a reducer in in certain ways and the big story is that he's too short for a centre-back. We've had the Football Social Daily measuring stick out and we're going to give him a generous five foot nine, uh, although we can't be absolutely sure. He's not in Manchester yet so we can't measure him, but we're going to give him five foot nine. Aerially, he isn't fantastic, but on the ground he is very good and he's Similar to maybe Javier Mascherano of, I don't need to beat you in the air, as long as the ball is on the ground, I'll just keep winning it. There is going to be a lot of chat about this nonsense of, is he too small to be a Premier League centre-back? He is a very, very capable centre-back. And United, despite the fact that they've got Harry Maguire, who's an England international, Rafa Varane, French international and serial winner with Real Madrid, they do still have a weak spot in that defensive area. And he could fix that or at least plug that yeah, gap. I think
0: when you've looked at United over the last couple of years especially in the defensive department, it's been all over the place just in terms of being able to be comfortable on the ball, um, especially against teams who are high-pressing teams or a little bit more physical and aggressive in their approach. You've all, you'd always see, you know, for example, Harry Maguire get a little bit flustered on the ball. There was countless times where he would lose it under pressure. Whereas when you look at, for example, Lysandro Martinez's statistics, I know the Eredivisie is a little less contact a little bit slower than the Premier League. Regardless though, having the highest level of um, completed passes and ball retention in that league is is telling of how good he is on the ball in terms of his composure. He just does the bread and butter stuff very, very well, which I think that's something we've lacked since probably Michael Carrick was in the side, if I'm honest, just in terms of someone who, when they have the ball They already read the picture and they know exactly where they're going. Um, And they offered offered to receive the ball from the defenders because there have been so many times where you've saw Scott McTominay a little bit um, passive in the way which he goes about in the midfield, not asking for the ball or he doesn't look confident on it. And I just think that there's going to be situations in the season where... This side is going to play teams where we're pinning them back for the full 90 minutes and we need a player who can pick a pass. Uh, and we're not going to be massively attacked defensively and I think there's going to be so many ways in which Tenar is going to adapt the side he might probably go for a three at the back who knows uh, potentially Um, or there might even be a chance where he goes in defensive midfield I know that's not his preferred position but there's going to be different situations where I think he'll be needed and I just think that that main attribute of being comfortable on the ball and having so many completed passes forward which is the main key I think that's why they've paid so much money for him because there's very far and few between players who can actually do that these days um, so for me I just think it was a kind of essential Cog in the system where he knows exactly what Ten Hag wants in a team in terms of um, possession-based football and being able to you know adapt to another team. I think it's perfect for him. So I don't think the height should be a massive thing because I don't think Ten Hag is going to be naive enough to play you know Martinez next to I don't know uh, Verano Maguire against a really physical uh, newly promoted side. Of course, I don't think he would do that. Um, but against some teams, it might be necessary to play a guy who can actually have a bit of composure on the ball.
2: Yeah, that wouldn't go amiss. Um very detailed explanation. I'd just go over something a bit more straightforward. Martinez, if you sign for Manchester United, just don't stand next to anyone dead dead tall in training and then no one will know. You'll be absolutely fine. That's that's my advice if uh, if the move is made. Right, we're going to take another quick break. After the break, we are talking transfers or lack of transfers. Leicester City have the odd record of being the only Premier League side not to sign anyone so far this summer. We're going to be digging into the reasons why the foxes are keeping their powder dry all that to come in just a sec
1: football's social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk football's social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode
2: Welcome back to the Football Social Daily. It is pre-season and we are talking transfers, but in part one and part two, we were talking about new faces coming into clubs and who could be arriving and who might be leaving. In part three, Marley, we're talking about a club that has absolutely stood still so far in the Premier League transfer window. Leicester City are one of just two teams in Europe's top five leagues that have signed nobody Nobody has come into Leicester City Football Club this summer. That's Well, technically that's not true. Dennis Pratt has come back from a loan spell in Italy. No new faces, no freshening up. And the way Leicester ended last season was very... It was very tense for the Leicester fans. They were unhappy because they were anticipating a run for Europe, maybe even a run for the top four. They fell away completely. They lost a lot of silly games, dropped a lot of silly points. Brendan Rodgers was kind of given a bit of a pass he is still probably the right man in the job at Leicester, the fans like him but there's been no movement there's a lot of rumours swirling around of players that might be coming in, Yuri Tieleman's potentially moving on but we're three weeks away from the first ball getting kicked in the Premier League season and Leicester have nobody and they need reinforcements.
1: Yeah they do I think um, I think we, we mentioned it at times last season um, I remember saying about about Leicester's squad and, and it sort of seems ready for a, a bit of a refresh um, and a bit of a sort of... You talk about cycles, don't we, in football and, and sort of teams coming to the end of, of their best years and then the manager uh, has to change something, whether it's new players or a new system or something. Um, but I think I think Leicester are there now, to be honest. I think if you look at them... I mean, this isn't just coming from the fact that they haven't signed anyone, I'm not sure if if Brendan Rodgers really believes that he can uh, take that squad any further than he has. I think winning the FA Cup was, was huge, like absolutely massive, like the first time, I think it was the first time Leicester have ever won it or something, but it's um, it's a huge achievement for anyone outside the top four and... It was massive for them, but they fell short at the at the Champions League in the last two seasons, and then they fell well short last season when they were trying to compete in the in the Europa League and then the Conference League when they went out of that. So I'm not sure what their their motivation is anymore. I, I feel like they they're going a bit still and they're trying to bring through new players like Dewsbury Hall and Harvey Barnes and trying to build build the team around them and, and James Justin and, and people like that for and Fafana and all the rest of them, but. I feel like Leicester are more likely to lose players now than than sign new ones. I think th- for them, this summer some of the most important thing: is keeping hold of Yuri Tielemans But the way Rodgers talked about Tielemans last season, he said basically said I can't stop him going in further in his career. But for me, a manager would would be saying, you know, like a, a zoned in proper sort of motivated manager would be saying something like, well, we want him to stay here and we want to try and get into the Champions League with, with players like Yuri and our team, but instead he basically said there was speculation might be going to Man United or Arsenal or something like that. And he basically said, Oh well, if Yuri wants to leave, he knows that um, you know, I, I I can't stop him, he's only got one career, he's only it's only a short career type of thing. And it was it just sort of had like made an alarm bell go in my head and I'm not even a Leicester fan, you know what I mean? So I was thinking, is he done here? Um and then he, as well, Rogers, as well, was then linked with the Newcastle job before Eddie Howe came in, and he he openly sort of flirted with it a little bit. And then when Newcastle played Leicester and he beat them two one at St James's Park in in March, I think it was when Bruno Gomaris scored a late uh, diving header, he was he was just waxing lyrical about Newcastle. He's like, "Oh, great club, great fans, all the rest of it." And I'm just thinking, is Rogers now waiting for a bigger job, or does he? Is he fully motivated to get Leicester's into the top four? Does he believe they can do that or get him into the top six? Because I'm not sure he does because I think he's... The the two fifth-place finishes where they were literally within touching distance of the Champions League in two of the last three years have took so much out of him. It's been like two body blows, like a boxer taking a body blow and, and he's struggling to breathe and he's sort of losing belief that he's going to win this, uh, this battle. I, I just don't think he's... Uh, he's quite there anymore and he's looking at his squad and going Vardy's 34 probably got to replace him Dakar's been pretty much rubbish last season Ian Acho can either score a world up, pull an absolute stinker uh in in the next game so I'm not sure what I do with that and I'm not sure about Leicester I can't see them going I can't see them finishing top half next season I think they'll they'll finish around 10th 11th and uh and maybe uh, Rodgers will be like I'm, I'm not really sure where to go from here
2: Joel another team that has not exactly set the world alight in the transfer market this summer is Everton they technically have signed someone they brought James Car- James Tarkowski in on a free from Burnley but they haven't spent any money on anybody £50 million in the bank from Charlison coming in they've offloaded some big wages Cenk Tosen, Fabian Delph and Gilfie Sigurdsson all leaving the club Frank Lampard gained a huge amount of kudos with the Everton fans for the way they turned it around and dug in and got themselves out of the relegation battle at the back end of last season. But they cannot afford to just coast into the new campaign, particularly with Richarlison Garney was so important for them. They need new faces as well. James Tarkowski's a, a classic, solid signing who'll come in and he'll help the defence and help some of those young defenders, Godfrey, Holgate, etc. But they need more players and Lampard Lampard needs to step up.
0: Yeah, I think Tarkowski is a is a good transfer because I think last year there was talk of you know. A fee being in the range of 40 million, which would have been another disaster transfer for Everton. Because when you look at the side now, there's just so much dead wood from basically three or four years of complete neglect, I would say. Um, Having people in positions who weren't qualified, namely Marcel Brands, who literally has splashed millions and there's, there's nothing to show for it whatsoever. I think the only one is literally Richarlison, where they've managed to get the money back for him, or maybe plus 10 million which is pretty much a miracle considering how bad they've been over these last two years. But I think Everton just need to get back to what they were especially under Moyes I'm not saying in terms of style of football but in terms of what they represented in, um, being a very difficult side to beat with players who are very physical um, but also you know a, a bit of flair on the wings and I think now that they've lost for example Richarlison, who I think definitely offered that part of it a little bit of bite in the side they've got a huge void to fill now um, where it's just a accumulation of players from you know Rafa Benitez wanting them and uh, Silva wanting them a couple of years ago. There's just so much conflict of players in that side that it, just, it needs a bit of a clear out, in my opinion. The only issue now is the recruitment needs to be spot on, but I don't believe Everton are going to do it well because they've proven in the last two to three years whoever's in charge of that money and not equipped to spend it. I don't know if it's a case of just being... You know, when you get given an amount which you're not uh, used to again with Marcel Brands being the best example the recruitment has just been absolutely appalling so that's going to be the key for Everton considering they've literally flirted with relegation last season which would have been a massive reality check especially with Mashiri who seems to be speaking with a lot of people to actually offload the club I think he might be panicking a little bit um, knowing that if they do go down the stadium is going to maybe be delayed and it's going to take a long time to get them back up again um, so it's a massive season for them and it's a massive season for Lampard because if it goes wrong in the first three months it's going to be a lot of swapping and changing very quickly so it's hard to know who they need to go for, who they can even attract um, but yeah it's going to be a tough season for them if they can't because obviously Leeds are making moves at the moment even though they lost their two best players um, and a lot of clubs around them are starting to um, improve their squad so there's a bit of pressure going forward
2: Yeah. And speaking of uh, Farhad Mashiri, not to name drop too much, but he actually emailed me last night, mixed in with adverts from Nike and Trainline and all sorts of stuff. Little email there from Farhad Mashiri. I like to think personally to me to say that he has no intention of selling Everton Football Club. And I think Everton fans will say, now that that's all cleared up, please spend some money on some new players because we need them big time. Right. We're going to wrap up today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Marley, Joel, as always, thanks so much thank you cheers guys great stuff guys as always hit subscribe up the top and you can get access to a brand new show as soon as it is ready we are building back to a big Premier League season all to come from the start of August thanks for listening and we'll speak to you very very soon football's social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode